It's been too long and I'm lost without you. What am I gonna do? Said I've been needing you, wanting you, wondering if you're the same. And who's been with you? Is your heart still mine? I wanna cry sometimes. I miss you. My loves, your girl's been MIA and I apologize to you. I have been uh, tired. I have been working. I haven't been feeling so great. And uh, I've been neglectful. I still need to schedule some interviews. I have all these things in my mind that I need to do. And then I've been overwhelmed with work and life and just not feeling that great lately. So my apologies to you, my loves, my darlings. I've missed you. I've missed talking to you. I've missed sharing uh, our cocktails together. And I apologize. I'm going to get back on the ball, y'all. I promise. I've got to work out some work life, real estate life, life life balance. You know, your girl is a work in progress and a whole mess. So I'm trying to get back on the ball And uh, thank you if you're listening for sticking with me for going a week or two without me and saying, oh, that girl's back. I'm going to listen to her. I appreciate you uh, so, so much. For those of you who are not familiar, I'm Shannon. I'm the host of Cocktail Conversations with Shannon. And I am so glad to have you with me. It's going to be a sangria sermon today because like I said, my life's been a hot mess. Oh, let me tell you guys. Well, (laughs) I shouldn't say this online. This may mess up my insurance. (laughs) So y'all know I'm I'm an advocate for therapy. I'm an advocate for going to therapy, for getting help, for, you know, just clearing out your closets of your mind and organizing your space mentally, spiritually, and whatnot. And I had a therapy session. And my therapist, who I've been going to for almost a decade now, it's a very, like, the only relationship I've had longer is me and my husband, um, you know, my family, but you know, in terms of like in my face, knowing all my business. And, um, she said, you know, you have OCPD. I said, what is that? My heart's fine. She's like, no, you have obsessive compulsive personality disorder. I said, what? I don't think, I didn't think I had that because I, I feel like, well, first of all, everybody knows I'm, I'm not that organized of a person in my mind. I'm very, um, in my mind, I'm very all over the place and I have been professionally critiqued for not being detail-oriented enough, for not being uh, as organized as I quote should be. And so in my mind, I'm like, what is she talking about? Like, she's nuts. And so she's like, no, no, no. Just because it doesn't apply to you in spreadsheets doesn't mean that it doesn't apply. So she tells me on the spot, Google obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. Now, if you're listening, I want you to know that's different than OCD. If you're of a certain age and you watch True Life MTV, uh, I have OCD, where young ladies and young men would have to like cross you know, their hands a certain way and back out of a door. Do, they were very, it's very ritualistic. That's not this, right? So she gives me uh, the task. I look it up on like WebMD or Healthline or one of those other hypochondriac's favorite websites. And about 13 things, little points of like, do you do this? Do you do that? Do you do that? And I'm reading it like, oh, sometimes I, well, not all the time, but it depends on, okay, maybe with my outfit, maybe with, you know, like it's like, basically I'm real like uptight about stuff that kind of doesn't matter in some ways, but you know, I'm reading it, a rigid adherence to moral codes, perfectionism to the point that it impairs your ability to finish tasks, uh, being extremely frugal with money. Now, I don't think I'm particularly frugal. However, I am aware that if I can get things on sale, if I can get things cheaper, I will do so. There was a time very recently when uh, I didn't feel like cooking. My husband was like, let's order Uber Eats. And I said, oh, it's an $11 surcharge. I'd rather just go to Chili's directly and not spend that money on a surcharge. So I may be, in fact, cheap about certain things. An excessive devotion to work at the expense of family or social relationships. Well, you've heard me just say that I've been neglecting this podcast because I've been working. Um, And an inability to delegate work because of fear it won't be done right. Now that I know I have. A fixation with lists. I have been challenging myself to grocery shop without a list since she told me this. And let me tell you, it's been a hot mess. I need lists. So here we go. 
this is this is this is what I have. Now I'm telling you all this because what was funny was the reaction of some of my loved ones when I asked them about it. Because you know, first I was like, "Oh Lord, is something else wrong with me?" So I gave it to my friend Courtney, who is a listener of the of the podcast, and she was like, "No, girl, ain't nothing wrong with you. What you talking about? You only well, hmm. Okay, well you are a little hmm. Well, right here." Well, when you spread it out all over your life, you do little bits in different places. Sort of <laughs> How she reacted. And then she kept saying, I mean, you literally tell us all the time to do things decently and in order. Like, that's literally your tagline. You should get shirts made. I said, ooh, okay. So I told my husband, my beloved, he was, you know, as a good husband should be very defensive. Ain't nothing wrong with you, babe. You all right. You okay. Ain't nothing, you know, don't let nobody tell you this, that, and the other. Blah, blah. And as he keeps talking, he goes, I mean, there's like levels to it. Like if you got this, you probably like a level one. <laughs> so he's still like trying very hard to defend me in my in and my honor the longer he's talking. And so I had to tell him, you know, I, I can recognize that these are some of the traits I have. He's like, okay, well, good. Because, you know, if you said you don't have none of these traits, I probably would have checked you on that. But yeah, you ain't got all of them. <laughs> so... So my cousin Corey, who has been a guest on the show and is literally one of my closest, closest, nearest dear, is more like a brother to me. He surprised me and came to visit uh, when I, I sang at uh, Thursday Night Live Vibe, for those of you who are in Orlando, which is a great time. Um, so he surprised me and came to the gig. So I talked to him about it. I showed him the list. He's reading the list. He's like, you all right. You only got like nine out of the 13 things on this list. <laughs> So, I have been learning about myself and just trying to sort out what serves me, right? Like, you know, because at first I was fixated on like, well, what made me like that? Like, where where did it come from? Is that a nature? Is that a nurture? Have I been shoehorned into that from years of working in corporate spaces and college and school and, you know, bougie blackness because when she told me I said lots of bougie blacks are like this we like agendas we like order we like things to be a certain way but you know this is who we are right currently y'all are debating about bonnets and mess y'all are uptight too all bougie blacks probably got this mental <laughs> illness <laughs> but I'm still trying to parse out that which does not serve me and putting things in, in the right boxes and check for me, right? Like it's okay to have these things when it comes to the right things, but not to let it lead me to being overwhelmed, which admittedly I have been over the last few weeks. Like <laughs> the spiritual bestie, also a former guest on the podcast who has her own podcast, the spiritual bestie, you know, she, she gets on Instagram live. She's also my cousin-in-law, full disclosure. But she does tarot and, and, and different things like that. So she gets on Instagram Live. She does a tarot reading. So I, you know, popping in. Hey, cousin, you know, go ahead, pull me a card. Why every card she pulled was like, you need to relax. Every card <laughs> was like, sit your ass down somewhere and relax. <laughs> Say, ask them cards how I do that. So that's what's really been going on with me as of late. Uh, went to Jacksonville, hung out with uh, my friend Tessa and Nate. Uh, you know, they're they're our lovely friends, my husband's best friend, and uh, celebrated their baby. Their baby is a quarantine baby, so poor Nico has only been alive while people had on masks and and social distancing, and it was his first birthday. So he's so cute, and all their children. I love their kids so much, but you know, poor Nico. He's just like everybody's out. Their faces are exposed. Like you know, he he could just tell. Uh, he looking at everything like, why why are all these people here? He looks at everything like humans. What is that? <laughs> but he's such a cute boy and such a sweetheart. So so I've been trying to work some fun in there as well. I worked the whole time I was there. So like I said, I'm learning that I need to work on work, life, balance, 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 and more balance because your girl ain't getting it apparently. I'm going to work on it. <sighs> Let's talk about some mess. Isn't that fun? That's what I really want to do. <laughs> fun things that I've noticed. Oh, fun. 
those of you who are fashionistas as well as uh, reality show mongers like myself have probably gotten a kick out of the fact that uh, Telfar, I don't know this man's real name, I call him Telfar, but the designer of Telfar, fabulous bags and, and you know, those bags get snatched up like like in a hurry, as soon as he says there's a color. Now, fun fact also, for those of you who don't know how to shop, y'all know Can't Nobody Out Shop Me is my life motto and it's the truth. If you want a Telfar bag, follow them on Instagram. Do not just, because they will tell you ahead of time when the thing's coming out, the colors, the sizes, and when you get up. I have my little Telfar bag I got uh, last year. My little cute gold going out Telfar bag. They're always releasing them. It's always on Instagram, but they go fast. Um, and it is like this luxury, everyday luxury kind of thing is the thing. Like, like they start at 150 I think the highest price is maybe 400 so it's high end but it's not uh Vuitton Saint Laurent Balenciaga Valentino high end like you're not gonna feel too too bad about buying it I love the bags I think they're really cute but anywho uh Telfar as I'm gonna call him did a spread in a magazine uh highlighting his new collaboration with Ugg I don't really like them fuzzy things but he he, he used the Real Housewives of Potomac as his models, which is so fun to me because A, all the girls are like over 35 at least, I'm including Ashley because I think she and I are similar in age. Every one of them is an older black woman, right? These are not the stereotypical models that you think of. So it was just really, really cool to see them all glammed up and, and fun. And Karen ate the girls up. The grand dame ate them up honey blonde wig glam makeup body killing it and she's the oldest one so I'm always excited when Karen shows up and she her wig game is is a thing like she's really got the greatest glow up of all so I just thought that was so fun to like just see older black ladies living their best glamour model lives like y'all better do it girls you know they're gonna be on tv being messy soon but it was just nice that they had <laughs> This lovely moment of modeling to give to us, that was always, uh, yeah, I love seeing that. Speaking of Real Housewives, y'all know what I'm going to talk about. Our friend Erica Jane from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills is on right now. Uh, I've been dipping in and dipping out and dipping in and dipping out because I'm going to dip back in when the timeline starts to show us everything that happened between Erica and Tom. When the show first started, you know, her and Tom were supposedly spending all their time together and eating dinner every night during the quarantine. So now let's talk about what's been going on. Hulu and ABC News released their documentary called The Housewife and the Hustler. And it was an in-depth sort of discussion on exactly what went wrong with uh, Tom Girardi, Erica Jane's now estranged husband's uh, empire, his legal empire, the money issues, what they were being sued about. Now I knew they were being sued. Um, well, let me, let me go back. The, the doc didn't really reveal much that was new, but it gave a new line of sight to things. And because I knew that they were being sued, um, and that it was something to do with misappropriation of funds. That was sort of the way that it was sort of explained and it was one of those things that you know sometimes you read stuff like I'm smart I got a little degree right but every time some every once in a while you read stuff you're like mm, I don't have the brain waves for this like I, I got bits and pieces of it so when the lawsuit first came out I really thought well this is some law stuff that I don't understand it'll be fine um then more stuff came out some law stuff and then then it was like erica jane's being involved so i was like oh then they said that he was stealing money from people so what the abc news hulu documentary really did was clearly explain on a human level not just paperwork not just documents on a human level how grimy tom girardi is uh backstory for those of you who don't know tom girardi Erica Jane's uh, now estranged husband was a big time lawyer and his whole thing was that he fought, he did a lot of class action suits against big corporations, against big things. He is the attorney from the Aaron Brockovich movies. For You know, if you are of a certain age, you probably saw it with Julia Roberts and you know, the people were being poisoned 
by, by the water in their area. And Aaron Brockovich connects with this big time attorney and they sue and get people what they need because people are getting cancer from it. That was a real life story. And Tom Girardi is the attorney that Aaron Brockovich worked with. So what is happening now, or what we found out had been happening over the last few, I guess, decades, was that people needed help. They had um, the the they highlighted this one man, one young man. I think his name is Josh. He had been severely injured in like a gas explosion. He and his girlfriend were just watching movies in the house, and there was a huge explosion, a huge gas line that just blew up everything. He was burned over almost all of his body. Medical bills galore. Um, his girlfriend ended up dying in that situation. And um, Tom was one of the people who took the case on and won. And when you win, now this is something I did not know. I know a little bit. No, I don't know anything about this. So when you win a big class action lawsuit, the money goes into a trust because he was supposed to get a lump sum of money and then continual payments throughout his life because he had, as we said, an entirely you know, enormous amount of medical bills and medical issues that he was going to have for the rest of his life and still has for the rest of his life. That money is set up in a trust at the law firm. This young man was not getting his payments and was calling and saying, where's my money? And Tom Girardi was literally becoming friends of the family. Come to my house. Come hang out. Let's go places. Let's be besties. So when he calls Tom and says, hey, where's the money? Tom blames some judge. Oh, the issue is this judge is holding this up. This judge is holding that up. Then he kind of conjure up some money and give him a little bit. But he never really paid out the money and kept blaming it on the judge. Now we find out the judge is like, what? I don't have anything to do with that. He won. What are you talking about? So he was flat out stealing the money from these victims of tragedies. Um, there was a plane crash in Indonesia, an Indonesian plane crash. And again, Tom Girardi sued. Tom Girardi gets the money for the people. They never see the money. So you pair that with at the same time, there are victims at home struggling to make ends meet, struggling to pay medical bills, paying end of life things, paying for funerals, or all these things that come up when a person is either severely injured or killed in a tragic situation. At the same time, Erica Jane Girardi is on television bragging about their two private jets, her expensive music career that he is funding, the music videos, I'm wearing Alaya, I'm wearing Balenciaga, I'm wearing this designer, that designer, look at my room, my closet of fabulous clothes, look at our Pasadena mansion that's worth $17 million. Like she's just living her life and her life is expensive. And you know, they have a Chagall I found out recently because they acted like, oh, we got a Chagall. Those could go for this much money. But the truth was it was a lithograph. So, but, you know, she's giving the impression that they have a $100,000 painting in their home. It's probably more 15K, but still, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for, for something that's going to hang on your wall. Okay. But so all of this is going on. And at the same time, these people are struggling to pay their medical bills struggling to cover the most basic necessities in life while you go on about your $100,000 Cartier ring. I do like the ring. It's like a white tiger with emerald eyes, but it is still more than most people make a year, more than most people make in two years, to be quite honest. Like a, It's like a $180,000 ring. So this looks trash. Like the documentary is interesting because there are some things that they do that kind of negate some of the validity and the importance of it. And that was including Danielle Staub of The Real Housewives of New Jersey and Dana Wilkie from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills like a thousand seasons ago. The one that bragged about having the $25,000 sunglasses. Girl. Bad girl. We don't really. Mm. But it looks bad. It looks terribly bad. Now here's the question. The, well, there's two two points. One point, one question. Everybody wants to know how much did Erica Jane know? She had to have known is what people are saying. She had to have known. You know, he has an LLC. He has her listed as a, quote, secretary. She had to have known where some of this money was coming from. That's what a lot of people are arguing. I don't know if 
I think you have to know? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm asking myself, like, if my husband came home, it was like, I got a raise and a promotion at my job. And I say, how much was your raise or how much was your bonus? And he tells me $20,000. I may not question it that hard because I don't really work there. I don't know how this works. Don't know how you get paid. Most people think that attorneys get good money. We don't really know. What's interesting is most of the attorneys in the documentary, like, we ain't getting that kind of good money. (laughs) You don't see a bunch of us in $17 million, you know, mansions. And that's fair. But if you know, if you're not in it, all you know is, you know, that's one of them careers your mom and them told you to go to school for because they get money. So I do always question like, I don't know if I think you can know everything. But because if you knew you was doing grimy, would you get on the TV show and talk about all your jets and stuff? I don't know if I would talk about it if I knew our money was I would I would definitely downsize my entire life if I thought there was some sketchy sketch going on. Hmm. I don't know. So there's that question. I also think the the situation that sucks or that is the truth is that it kind of doesn't matter if she knows. And the reason it doesn't matter in some ways if she knows is like, okay, if she knew, then yes, maybe jail time and as much punishment as Tom Girardi was getting. But in either situation, if I were her, I would start selling some stuff and paying some people right now. Like my conscience there is a literal burn victim who is trying to pay medical bills. I would sell that ring and he would just get that, like just whatever I could give back that would not necessarily stop me from living. You know, I would just not be the glam squad. Maybe you come out three days a week instead of all seven. Maybe I would just, if I were her, she's got to get on her mother, Teresa. Even if you're saying I had no clue, I had no clue. I did not know whether or not that is true. If I were her, I would be on my Mother Teresa. I would be on my atonement tour. I would be on, as much as I bragged and flashed that money around and talked about it's expensive to be me. Looking this hot don't come for free. And I love that song. So I'm not going to, full disclosure, I love that song. That's part of my manifestation playlist. I have a playlist of, of music that I listen to that's all about like, money and blessings. I got money everywhere, falling from the trees. I love that kind of stuff, right? So expensive is one of the songs on there. It's expensive to be mad. I love that song. But you cannot sing that when the truth is your wealth has come off the backs of tragedy. Of tragedy. So if I were her, This is my suggestion to Erica Jane. This is my, rather than just making it a big stink about, well, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, and I should get to keep all my stuff. Like there was something that I think they wanted her to like give away and her argument was, it's a gift. It was a gift. Girl, but who paid for your gift? Like, what are you thinking? Because think about like how many mob, you know, wives of mobsters and things like that. You know, okay, their stuff is gifts, but when the feds come in, they get it, it's taken. Saying that something is a gift to you when it's from ill-gotten gains and it's from your marriage, y'all are still kind of joint. So I don't know if I think she knew everything. I definitely think that this divorce, I still think this divorce was a cover-up to hide assets. I still think it's a cover-up to hide assets. If I were her, what she needs to do is a full about face. And what I've heard is now that the documentary's out, her her legal team dropped her. Like they don't want to defend her. They don't want to represent her in court anymore. Um, so whether or not she is telling the truth, and I still enjoy Samirica Jane, so I'm not pretending I don't. Uh, here's where she's messed up, and here's where you've got to you've got to come with some contrition, darling. Do your own makeup at least two days of the week. Uh, you know, try, you know, come down to the Louis Vuitton wears like me. Don't, you know, try to leave the Hermes alone. Like come back down and be a normal woman with a good job. Like, okay, you're on Beverly Hills Housewives. That's income. And that's another thing. People are like, I can't believe she's still doing the show. Honey, where else is her money coming from? During a Panasonic, she can't tour. Half the pride events are down. And that was where she was making all her money. She was doing all those pride shows. You know, she, where is she making an income? 
without Tom Girardi. And all his assets are frozen. He's about to be suspended from the bar. She's got to do this show. Or work at like The Gap or go back being like a cocktail waitress. Maybe get a Vegas gig. I don't know. I don't know if she could pull that off herself. So I find this interesting. Y'all know I'm going to be keeping up with it and watching and figuring out because, you know, housewives and legal drama isn't new. We talk about it. We've talked about it fairly often. Shout out to Jen Shaw, right? But this one is, is, this one is really bad. Like, We're all, I don't know anybody who, even like if you're a scammer, scammer, like, you know, I'm from Tampa, it's Drop City. Somebody always scamming. But to literally steal money from burn victims and gas line victims and plane crash survivors, just yuck. Yucky, Tom. Like, what the hell? Like, where's your soul? Where's your conscience? Yuck. Ugh. Mm-mm-mm. Let's move on. Let's talk about K. Michelle's face. So I was minding my business and my best friend, Nadia, messaged me and said, what happened to her face in a screenshot of a young woman in a pink wig? And I said, who is this? She said, that's K. Michelle. I said, Harpo, who this? That's not. She said, that is Kay Michelle. Why does she look so different? So if you have not seen the, the picture in question, Kay Michelle, you know, said she she took a little picture of herself, posted it, and her complexion was very light-skinned. Her nose was very small. Uh, everything about her looked different. Now, let me be honest, because I, I am not, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, getting depth about how I'm both trash and deep. And that is, she looked great. It's not that she looked bad. Whoever did her work actually did a great job. But she didn't look like herself. And so I started to think like, oh, well, that makes me kind of sad. So so I think she has come out on Instagram and said she did not get any surgery done. But, you know, there's lots that can be done, darlings. Botox and all sorts of things that'll trim your body and, and all of a sudden shaving things down and all that junk. But so, quote, quote, no shirt, no surgery has been done, according to Kate Michelle. But it is, she is noticeably different looking, um, noticeably paler. And it made me a little sad. I don't even want to judge her as much as I just remember thinking, well, what was wrong with your old face, girl? You know, you can say a lot about Kay Michelle. You don't have to like her. You don't have to like her voice. You don't have to like any of those things. But she was never an ugly girl. She's never been an ugly woman, right? Um, I know people that went to college with her. I think she was Miss Fam U. So she's been known for a lot of things, but being ugly ain't it. She's always been pretty. She's been a pretty girl, but she's been a brown girl, okay? She's been a girl with a black girl nose. But she's always been very, very pretty. So seeing her alter her face, I just was like, damn. Yeah, that pressure's got to be in that world. Everybody is trying to meet. I can't even say we're trying to look like Kim Kardashian because Kim Kardashian doesn't look like she used to either. I don't know who would, who is this ambiguous human we're all trying to look like, you know, but it just made me a little sad because I was like, well, you were never ugly, friend. You were never ugly. But look at the picture. It's up to y'all. See if you, you know, if y'all think like I think. I just think she wasn't an ugly woman. She just needed to, like, I don't know, do what she always had done. She hadn't done anything wrong. I just don't think she she needed whatever she did. She didn't need to do. You know, she's skin lightening or what? Yeah, she's a, like a whole pale, narrow-nosed woman now. And um, she doesn't look bad. She just doesn't look like herself. She looks like a whole different part. Like, like, go to her Instagram page, beloveds, and then just ask yourself whose face is this? Her nose. So, so different. Um, so drastically different. I don't get it. But that's okay. And, and, and I say it's okay because I understand the pressure as a woman as a woman who is a public figure or is striving to be a public figure, to want to look a way that attracts the masses. And sometimes when you are 
in a sphere where you're looking at yourself a lot, you're taking pictures a lot, you're doing those things, you can get to a point where you look at yourself and all you see is things that are not like the mainstream or that people don't like or that you think will make you more attractive or more popular. You know, it's very hard to be a woman in this world of pictures all the time and Instagram all the time and video all the time and TikTok all the time and, you know, just wanting to be liked in a way and to be desired in a way and to be admired in a way. And unfortunately, sometimes that means that a lot of us as women only see what's wrong with us and want to change what's what we think or perceive is wrong with us. And as black women in particular, there is a, whether or not we want to acknowledge it, I know we all, I'm not my hair and black girl magic, but you living in a bubble if you don't think that you're not slightly influenced by the fact that we as black women are constantly given a standard of beauty that is not naturally ours. And so I'm not deluded enough to think that any of us are so strong that we're not like, well, I would love to have thinner this, thinner that. You know, I would love longer hair. I would love straighter hair. I would love a thinner nose. I would love, you know, all these sorts of things that whether or not you, you know, I'm so deep, I'm so deep. Yes, you are beloved. But if you're honest, at least once in your life, you felt that pressure. And if at that time, when you felt that pressure, you had the money, the means, the the benefit, quote unquote, the opportunity and had been seen as a benefit to change your looks, would you have not done it? So I'm not judging, K. Michelle. I just find it, I just kind of find it sad. But listen, you know, mess around and give me a, a makeover. Give me some plastic surgery on these thighs. Tuck this tummy, lift these breasts, and I'll do it. So I'm certainly not in a position. <laughs> I'm not judging. I want to look like an Instagram hoe and get all the likes. So I'm not in a position. Of judging. I too am trash. <laughs> oh, are y'all done arguing about bonnets yet? Can I come out of the woods? The last, you know, all this time that I've been sort of, you know, trying to get my life in order, the internet has been a buzz about bonnets. And uh, full disclosure, I don't care. Here's why I don't care. Because I live in a duality. I am a dual energy I have you know I'm a Gemini rising and that's where this comes out so I actually hate bonnets in public I think they look awful I think you should just get a scarf like our ancestors and tie it up in a pretty scarf make it look like your hair is like that on purpose I too have had a pin curl that I wanted to save for later in the evening it's called a scarf don't need a bonnet having said that I think Monique was dead ass wrong now, here's why I think Monique was wrong. Because, first of all, you got to sweep around your own front door. Monique was the wrong messenger. You cannot sit there on God's internet with no brassiere. And I know some of y'all, well, she was in her house. Yes, she was, but her house was being a broadcast to the world. So you put on a bra. She had no brassiere on. She's yakking about, beloved's this, do that. I'm going to tap you on the shoulder. Ma'am, you went to the Oscars with hairy legs. So I need you to understand that your desire to buck societal systems, there were a lot of people who tapped you on the shoulder, Miss Monique, and told you you were out of order and you told them they were wrong. So why is it that the sister in a bonnet at the airport is not going to feel the same way? So you 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 got to sweep around your own front door. What this is interesting to me because there there's a thing that's happening. And I, I had this conversation with my dad, who I probably should put on the podcast. His Father's Day is coming up and stuff. And he's he likes to talk. I'll put him on soon. But so, you know, my dad always talks about how our generation does not like to receive instruction from their generation as they are now the elders. You know, the baby boomers are the elders and they don't understand why millennials and Zs don't sit at their feet and catch their wisdom. And 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 so this is another case of that, right? Like, you know, Monique, you are not of the greatest generation. You are not a real elder. You're not Maya Angelou. You're not, uh, hell, you knew Niyala. Because, again, you have to acknowledge 
where you fail. This obsession with how people dress at the airport is very fascinating to me. I, I have a way that I like to present myself, I have a way that I like to look, I have a way that I like to be seen, and I do tend to like to look very put together. That is my thing. I think, I think that is how, I, yes, that is part of how I was raised um, as a Southern woman, as a Black woman, as a bougie AKA. I like to look good, okay? That's a reflection of me. However, I am not deluded enough to think that because I like to look put together when I go out, that that will somehow be a shield against racism, against discrimination, against uh, bigots, uh, against misogynoir, because that's also a thing that black women have to deal with. Like, I can come out as fine as I want to be, and if somebody has that natural nasty intent in their heart, then it doesn't really matter if I'm wearing the finest of lace fronts. Uh, a blowout that is all that 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 it could be hair healthy and gorgeous or if I am in fact wearing a, a satin bonnet what difference does it make when there's real discrimination when there's real problems respectability politics doesn't save us it may save us amongst other blacks because bougie blacks love looking at other bougie blacks right but when it comes to the overall world all of our, our nice outfits is not stopping police brutality. It's not stopping discrimination. It's not stopping unfair hiring practices. It's just not. And so, um, though I can join Monique in saying, yes, yeah, that ain't cute. I also understand that I got to pick my battles and that's not a battle I give a damn about. I look good, you know. I believe in a long scarf if you need to protect your, your hair instead of a bonnet because bonnets just look like sleep to me. But that's where I stand on the matter. It's not worth arguing about. It's not worth, um, it's not worth all of the issues that we're seeing amongst each other because justifying the discrimination that another sister's facing because she's not dressed the way I like her to dress is just stupid. In the words of Iyanla, if you do it to her, you'll do it to me. What happens when I want to wear something and you don't like it and you don't think it's cute enough or respectable enough or whatever? What happens then? I don't like that. And Monique's got to, and the Moniques of the world have to understand that that's why that wisdom is not being received. Because as a generation, our boomers, we love y'all. Y'all wasn't on it like our elders. Y'all wasn't marching with Martin. Y'all be out here literally advertising for assimilation, not advancement. Like, <laughs> we can see. Like, we can see. Y'all struggling. Y'all ain't paying your bills. Y'all are dealing with racism just as much as we are. Y'all ain't free. Y'all wasn't in the gym, y'all weren't on the corners, y'all moved out to the suburbs, it was only you and yours, and now y'all want to come back and pour into, no, it's too late. Sorry. That's the issue. Monique has had a full life of doing what the hell she wanted to do. She did a whole comedy show in what looked like a damn plastic bag painted yellow and orange. That's not cute. She used to wear those plastic weird hairdos with the ponytail that just sort of hung. Does that not look ghetto? That looks very ghetto. If she, if I'd seen her in the airport with the same outfit that she had on in that very popular comedy special, I probably would have been like, oh, Jesus, here she come. Oh, boy, this is going to be loud and ghetto. Now, that's a stereotype, but isn't that what she's advocating? So that's my, that's my thing with the bonnets. Do I like them? Hell no. Will I fight for your right to wear them? Yes. That's what it is. Duality, darlings. It's not for me. It's not para me. Because I don't think it's cute. And somebody was like, well, how y'all? Oh, y'all so pro bonnet, but y'all had a lot to say about Derek Jackson's wife. Again, I advocate for cuteness. Watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and Kyle Richards said, I've never agreed with Kyle Richards more in my life. Is when she said, I want to look as cute as I can for as long as I can. I said, you damn right, Kyle. Me too. That's sort of my, my MO. Bonnets ain't cute to me. Bonnets are bedtime, bonnets are sleep time, bonnets are sick at home. It's just what it is. That's me, I ain't gonna change my opinion, you, you know, that's fine. But at the same time, I'm trying to understand how we live in a world, when I was in college, 
There were kids, white kids, who wore pajamas to school every day. All day. And then there were black kids who were wearing high heels and, and fancy things. There's this way that we are taught to present ourselves as if that will garner us more respect. Guess what? Them same kids got treated the same way. The kid, in, the white boy in pajamas and the black children dressed like little junior executives. Hell, the black kids probably had a lot more to deal with. Because you can't outdress racism. You can't outdress evil. Look good because you like to look good. That's my thing. I like looking good. But I ain't stupid to that. If you do it to her, you'll do it to me. Speaking of racism, let's talk about In the Heights. So uh, those of you who are musical fans or who just have HBO Max and it keeps popping up on your screen, Lin-Manuel Miranda, writer of Hamilton, uh, had his very first musical, In the Heights, turned into a film. Um, I watched it when it came out and I liked it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, pretty ditties, very Hamilton sounding, all about the lives of Latino Americans in Washington Heights, a neighborhood in New York uh, that is heavily Latino. Uh, I am very Southern and very Black and very American. So when I watched it, I felt like, hmm, cool by me because ain't, this ain't really my business, right? the critique started to come from Afro-Latinos. I do want to be clear because I'm seeing people in the media say, oh, black folks don't like In the Heights. No, black people who are actually a part of that culture have a valid critique because it does not reflect the accuracy of that culture, right? Because I'm a black and I like the movie, but I wasn't looking for representation in that the way that those people had a right to look for representation. So... Here's the thing. So when it first came out, I enjoyed it. I saw one of the lead characters is a black man. I thought he was Afro-Latino. I'm being told that in the movie he's not, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But there's only like one black kind of lead actor. Everybody else is traditional Spanish-y, leaning on the whiter side of, of Latin representation. The blacks that you do see, uh, the darker skinned Latinos are all backup dancers, extras, things like that. So at first, I'm not going to lie, as a person who is not a part of that culture, I thought, well, maybe we are splitting hairs, like whatever. And because yet again, it's really not my business. Then the interviews from the people involved with the film started to come out. And I was like, you got to be effing kidding me. <laughs> so here's what happened. So people who are you know, journalists that are actual Spanish people, Cubans, Dominicans, Panamanians. They are actual dark-skinned black people. My husband is Afro-Latino. For people who don't know, he is half Honduran. His father is all Honduran. His grandmother, my, my favorite, Grandma Della, all Honduran. They are Afro-Latino. Uh, my husband don't speak no Spanish, so technically he don't know either. But... <laughs> But this is these are this is valid, right? They asked the casting director, the director, I think, um, as well as some of the stars of the movie, about the lack of representation in lead roles. So they asked the one director, he's an Asian guy, about the lack of of, of Afro Latino representation because they said in Washington Heights there are lots of dark skinned Spanish folk. Why you don't have more of them in lead roles? And your boy said, did y'all not see the backup dancers? We had lots of black people. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It's so bad that he, like, I was just like, wait, that's, that's the answer? The backup dancers? That's not, that's not, that's, that's the point. Like, you literally have them relegated to the back, beloved baby. That's the point. Like, that's not that's not adequate representation. When you have a, a lead cast of, like, 10, and there's only one person who is noticeably black in the whole lead, like, speaking roles. So he says that. Then they have the interviews. And I think one of the, the one girl that I actually liked in the movie, she kind of made an acknowledge of it. She was actually the darker of the two lead women. You know, like, you know, I want more people who look like me and darker you know, blah, blah, blah. The one girl who is actually like the whitest Latina in the film, 
makes this comment. Now this one, I was like, who the hell ain't talking to them? Are they like, like what happened to media training? She literally says there were tons of black people in the auditions, but they really hired the people that were best for the role. Like we really embody our characters. You gotta be. So, so whiteness was the best for the role. Light skin was the best for the role. You just like, there were tons of black people. They just weren't good enough is what she basically said. Oh my gosh. It's so bad. So it's so bad. So now uh, apparently the movie is not doing well because, <laughs> you know, and so now people are saying, oh, it's the black people's fault. They're not watching in the Heights because they want to nitpick about race. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not the black people's fault because I, a black, watched it before all this stuff came out. The issue is that you alienated half the people that the film was supposed to represent. Like, Spanish people ain't one shade, they're not one look, they just speak Spanish. And so the whole point was that Washington Heights is this area where they're all unified, they're all like a, a melting pot, they're great. But when you actually did the casting, you whitewashed quite a bit of the representation of that neighborhood. So the people that would actually naturally support it don't feel represented, they actually felt antagonized because the reaction and the response was so bad. Oh my God, like the, the response was worse than the movie itself. Lynn, you know, he's released some sort of statement about how he's learning and he's, you know, realized like they missed the boat on some things and, oh, it's bad. It's bad. I wish that they would have just been honest and been like, you know, we tried our best to like represent as much as we could in the entire cast. Um, you know, but maybe we could have done a little better about being purposeful. I mean, I don't even know the right words, but what they said wasn't it. Y'all, I'm so tired of being handed candy when what we need is medicine. I'm so tired. I think I feel like this because in the midst of all that, we just found out that what they're trying to turn, Juneteenth is now a federal holiday. And I'm like, well, damn, who the hell asked for that? I am excited about Juneteenth. I love the idea of Juneteenth. My dad used to be stationed in Texas. So when I was a little girl, it was always like talking about Juneteenth, right? Even though I know a lot of the rest of the nation wasn't familiar with it until recently. Uh, but I don't want everybody to have a day off for Juneteenth when Juneteenth does not reflect the story of everybody. Out full disclosure, if your ancestors owned us, you should not get to celebrate Juneteenth. You need to go to work at that office. Let us be off. Let us celebrate. You need to go cover our shift because we built this country. That's the whole point of Juneteenth. Giving us a federal day off while simultaneously allowing school systems to purposely deny talking about critical race theory and pretending that America didn't America. It's just stupid pretending that we're not still living in a, it's an aggressive police state that penalizes people for having black skin at a different rate than it penalizes the rest of these citizens. Oh, but you got June 19th off. I don't want that. I don't want that. We still have health disparities in this country that are clearly divided by racial lines clearly divided by racial lines but you got june 19th off that's not what i want you're giving me candy i need medicine stop that shit oh boy you see why i'm just stressed the whole time i'm here like my phone is like you got an email you got an email you got an email did you do did you do did you do <laughs> oh y'all so i'm just trying to get my little life organized. I'm trying to find my balance. I'm trying to find my peace. I'm trying not to let everything get me so heavy, so hard. I bought me a waist trainer. I'm trying to, I'm really trying to be a whole new person. <laughs> stick with me, stick with me. <laughs> uh, so that's going to do it for me this week. That's all I got for you. Oh, and another thing, because I am from Central Florida and there is a video making the rounds of this young human in Tampa who is trying to defend himself in court and he's yelling and screaming 
about how to, you know, the videos and things were faked. And there's some people who don't know the case that are laughing at him and they're laughing at him because he looks stupid. And I get it, but I also want you to understand that this man is on trial for viciously murdering his girlfriend, his daughter, who was severely disabled, and attacking his son, who just managed to get away in time. So though his defense may appear funny, the situation is disgusting and abhorrent, and we do need to talk about uh the fact that we have a severe mental health crisis in America and we have a severe mental health crisis that I think is affecting black men. And, and that's why, that's what I'm saying. Like, like these, these niggas is killing each other, killing our families, killing their women, killing their children and, and doing crazy stuff. How different would his life be? How different would everybody's life have been if he had been getting regular medical treatment, trips to the doctor, questionnaires, um, if there were no stigma, if there were access to health care, if it had been clear that this man needs mental health and instead of having to call the police and then, you know, when you love somebody, you don't want to call the cops on them, especially you love a black man. It's scary to call the cops on a black man because then it turns from you protecting yourself to you burying them sometimes. Right. So if things were different, if the systems were different. Would there have been help for her, help for her children, help for him so he wouldn't be up there yelling like a fool? He, he really shouldn't be up there yelling like a fool. He should be in somebody's mental health ward, to be quite honest. So that's all I have to say as we watch. And I'm good for cutting up and watching and laughing at dumb shit on the Internet. And that's fine. But as we do that, I just want you to know the underlying issue as you laugh at his self-defense and the way that he's presenting himself. There is a family that is mourning the loss of a of a daughter, of a cousin, of a sister, of a mother, and her child, and then a, a young boy who has to live with the scars of watching his father murder his mother and sister, and then try to murder him. Oh, Lord, that's a lot. That's going to be it for this this week. I love you, babies. I'll be back. I'm getting myself back on board, back in, back in action. I need to take a vitamin or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I love you guys. You can rate and subscribe wherever you listen. You can support this podcast. The link is in the description box. Uh, if you have a conversation that you'd like to have with me, something you want to share, promote, talk about, discuss, anything, you can always email me at cocktailconvo7 at gmail.com. I look forward to chatting with you very very soon i love you babies have a wonderful week and happy juneteenth happy father's day happy pride what else am i missing happy black music month happy everything i love you babes bye